He is one of the standouts of the 2017 season. And Valdara's going to take the Delmar fraternity. We'll talk with his owner and trainer, Mick Ruiz. Plus, a primer on the Europeans headed over for the Breeders' Cup. All that straight ahead on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish! This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. There have been many successful people who, for one reason or another, dropped out of high school. Al Pacino, Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin Atlantic Airways, Sir Elton John, Marlon Brando, David H. Murdoch, the CEO of Dole Foods, Peter Jennings, even Princess Diana never made it through high school. I hope my teenage son's not listening to this, because I don't exactly recommend not finishing high school. The National Education Association reports that a high school dropout earns approximately $260,000 less over a lifetime than a high school graduate does, and is 72% more likely to be unemployed. But high school was not really doing it for Mick Ruiz back in San Diego in the 1980s. He stayed in school just long enough to complete wrestling season in his senior year, but dropped out shortly thereafter, so he never finished. He got a job in the construction business, specifically in scaffolding. In 1997, Ruiz was a divorced single dad with three kids and roughly $6,000 to his name. Yet, he was able to buy his first property, an apartment building in Columbia Falls, Montana, He'd moved there to live with his sister. Ruiz and his kids lived in one of the rooms of one of the apartments. His furnishings were a mattress and a fax machine. From those humble beginnings, Mick Ruiz became a successful contractor, moved back to San Diego, and became a nationwide operation building concrete reservoirs. In 2003, the high school dropout sold his business for $2.5 million. He'd eventually join and later buy a second business, a scaffolding business, which became the largest such provider for the U.S. Navy, among other clients. The next focus for Ruiz was horse racing, and eventually the small stable he had had horses of considerable quality. This year, they've set the racing world on its ear with a two-year-old colt who like his owner, is fast becoming a national star. Altoro charges into the lead from take the 101. They're followed by Soldamini, well clear of Zatter and encumbered, but Boltoro is forging clear. This is a high-caliber cult. We're witnessing the emergence of a star as Boltoro treats his rivals to a comprehensive walloping in the front runner. Scores by seven lengths. By the way, remember those three kids we mentioned earlier? One son was a jockey for a while, and a daughter works as a trainer. Now, Bolt Dioro comes from royalty, a son of Medaglia Dioro and grandson of AP Indy. His owner, Mick Ruiz, does not. 
but the cult's potential may soon lead Mick Ruiz to walk amongst celebrities and even heads of state. And we welcome owner and trainer and even former jockey Mick Ruiz here to In the Gate. Let's start with Bolt Dioro. What did you think when he pulled away as he did in the front runner? You know, I'd, we always thought that he could take those two turns because even in his races, the two prior ones, he didn't come back like, hey, he gave us his all and he, you know, was gasping for air. So we were hoping for what we saw and, you know, we got it. So that's what that's what I thought about that. We always thought he can get those two turns. He's bred to get the two turns. He's bred to even go farther, you know. Now, when it came time to go shopping last summer for yearlings, you said, I want a horse with a long body, but I want balance. Well, doesn't everybody want that? Yeah, but not everybody's got 630000 to spend on a yearling. So we wanted that horse. We got the horse. We were going, I, I told him we'd spend 500000 Ike, who buys my yearlings, he breaks them in my ranch in Montana and lives there. And I, you know, I said, we'll go five hundred grand, and we really like that. But... The more we kept seeing it and, you know, the people, that, the other guy that was on him, you know, is a very good horseman. And we said, you know what, let's just stretch a little more. And thank God we, you know, we went that extra five, five grand bid. Can I get a job as your real estate agent next time? <laughs> Tell us the story about how Bolt Dioro bit you in the back before his first race. Yeah, you know, he's just such a mellow, mellow horse. You know, he'll take a nap. got to wake him up for his Lasix. You know, he really takes care of himself. And so I was like, you know, kind of concerned, is this horse is going to be way too mellow, you know, his first race? So I had the uh, dry eraser board, you know, say what we're going to do in the afternoon and all this stuff. And so I was in front of his stall, because he's number one stall right by the office there. And he just turned and bit me right in the back, you know. And I wanted the first thing I wanted to do was like smack him in the nose. But I said, no, he's ready. And that was that was a good sign, because other fillies that I had, every time I would get bit, it was like, Good luck, you know what I mean? They they almost wanted to sacrifice something back up to him, but I said, no, that's just superstitious. Yeah, I thought we did away with animal sacrifice back in antiquity, but owner and trader Mick Ruiz joining us here on In the Gate. He'll send out Bolt Dioro in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile next month. Now, you sold your initial construction business and eventually got back into that game five years later. Did I read correctly that at that time you bought into your second business, you were a million dollars in debt? Yep. When I uh, The first construction company I had, we sold it for like two and a half million. We bought a little ranch in San Diego County. You know, my most expensive horse was 10 grand and trained it myself and had a little track out on our, on our ranch. It was a 70 small track. And by the time I could go back to work with my five-year Nocopee class, I was $1 million in debt. So I said, you know, if I get back in this again, I'm going to get it back in the level that we need to play here in Southern California. So I just went back to work and worked hard, got lucky with um, the contracts that I got ended up being the biggest contractor for the United States Naval Fleet. We're in over five states right now. At any time in one day, we might be on over 50 naval vessels between the five states that we're, my company's at. I read that your son, Mick Jr., had been a writer for a while, but that he was greatly affected by the death of his roommate, the race caller, Luke Kreitbosch, about a decade ago. How did that death affect your son? You know, I don't know too much about that. I just know when Mick decided to try to turn his career around, he went over to Kentucky and he was a roommate of Luke. And then he called me and said, Dad, you know, Luke died. And then he got his tack and he 
came back to California and then he decided to, um, you know, to, um, work, work for us at the construction company. So that was the end of his involvement with racing. Yes. Do he and you collaborate Mm -hmm. on the ownership end of the racing business? Oh no, he has nothing to do with our horse racing business at all. He's, he actually has his own construction company now. He has, you know, he don't do nothing with Lewis racing. He's, He's his, um, he owns his own construction company. Now, your daughter, Shelby, opened a public stable and decided eventually she wanted to train other people's horses instead of yours. What went into her decision? Well, you know, um, Shell trained all our horses because we, you know, I had bought in 15 of them. So she came and was, you know, with me every day at the barn. I didn't reinstate my license that I had before. And so she got her license. And, you know, it's hard when you're working with family because, you know, anybody else that's working for you, you're the, you're the boss and they, you know, you'll do what, what you're told. And with your children, you know, you, you just, it's harder because they're your children. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, having children work for you in your business, it's really tough. It's nice to have them there, but it's, it's just really tough. And so, you know, she'd wanted just to go do her own after, you know, we decided to part ways, which was, which was, I think was a good time for her and for us and you know now she's back um working in the barn for us here well you're lucky that you've had that time with your daughter if my son ever entertained the thought of working with me he'd probably sooner work with charles manson than work with me just because i'm his father <laughs> yes yeah i mean it, it's it's fun i mean you know you'd rather have your children around you because if you're watching them you know you're watching them right so that's a good part about it now Boltaro's making a nice run. He's caught about five wide, but Boltaro's all the way up to fourth. They come into the top of the lane. Soul Street is giving way at the rail. Zatta, Boltaro's running up. Big one on the outside. Homeward bound now. And it's Zatta and Boltaro. Boltaro's doing the better of the two. Boltaro strikes the front. And Boltaro's going to take the Del Mar Futurity. After Boltaro won the Del Mar Futurity... You said to one reporter, I'd show you my tickets, but I don't want the IRS to get me. Well, it's understandable that someone who wasn't born into wealth would say that. It made your buying one of the 12 slots in this past January's Pegasus World Cup a little bit more curious, since each slot cost a million dollars with no guarantee of even coming close to breaking even, much less coming out ahead. What led you to do that? You know, I went into there thinking, you know, hey, you know how people started with the NFL and crazy, you know, you're going to invest in a football team. And then, you know, the, it got real popular in the day and then the, the television and all that. That's what I was thinking about the Pegasus Cup, you know, that, wow, we can start on the ground floor here. Yeah, we know we're going to lose money the first year. But heck, the next year when the television rights start coming, if it blows up and it gets good, you know, you, it was a long term plan that I was you know what I was looking at, and it just didn't work out that way this this year here. The second year, you know, um, things became different, and you know I don't want to go into what they are, but it just didn't fit my program. I mean, I I'm so grateful for Mr. Strong what he's doing and bringing horses to California and let me have a barn at Santa Anita. You know, he's doing so much for horse racing. It's just that the Pegasus this year didn't really fit in my program. I thought I'd rather spend a million dollars on yearling horses, which we ended up spending a $2.4 million this year at Keeneland sale. Well, hey, Forrest Gump invested in a little fruit company, and that seemed to work out pretty well for him. Uh, you had said that 
Everybody wants to get to the Derby. I can't wait to see Bolt Dioro in January when he starts filling out. So assuming he comes out sound from the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, whether he wins or he doesn't, what are your plans for him? What is your schedule like? He's going to have 60 days off. He'll go to San Luis Rey where Ron Glatt um, trains for me over there. And, and all the babies from the ranch, after we break them, go to Ron before they come to me in March here in, um, in San Anita. So Bolt would already been there for three months. So we'll just have a 24-hour guard on him there. He can go out. It's really mellow out there. He can eat, eat some grass. You know, just I just want him 60 days decompressing, have a chance to grow up a little bit. And one thing about Paul, he's he's not the real real super steady. I mean, he, he can take a nap. Before the front runner, we had to wake him up again for his Lasix, you know. So if a horse can take care of himself and has a mind like that, you know, that's half of the problem that you can get them from not hurting themselves just being dumb. Well, I guess we do call these horses teenagers at this stages of their lives. It sounds like he's very much a teenager, whether human or equine. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I said, you know, I, I, I think he's growing. He looks like he's growing more, you know, and I didn't know, like I had mentioned before, if that's because he won his first grade one, he, they look bigger, you know, when you, when you do that. But then the, um, the assistant here, Sal Marquez, says, you know what, I'm reaching up higher to take that temperature every morning so he is growing, boss. So that was, a, that was kind of a funny sign. It's already been announced that the horse named for the fastest man on earth, Usain Bolt, will stand at Spendthrift Farm whenever his racing career is done. So Bolt Dioro's progeny will also not come from the humble beginnings that his current owner has. Thank you so much, Mr. Ruiz, and best of luck with him going forward in the Breeders' Cup and beyond. Thank you very much. We are going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, we'll introduce you to some of the Europeans you might not be as familiar with who are coming over for the Breeders' Cup, so don't go away. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. The Breeders' Cup, of course, features not only the best from the United States, but the best from around the world, largely Europe. But those are horses that our American audience are not as accustomed to seeing or hearing about during the year, maybe one or two here or there. And some of them have actually run in the States at some point during the season. But to get us a better idea of who these horses are who are coming to take on the best from America, we bring in one of the best from the UK. British race caller Richard Hoyles is back with us here on In the Gate. So good to have you here. So let's just go through some of these horses in some of these races. We're not going to go through every single horse in minute detail and bore our audience to death, not that you ever would, but Let's start with the classic. It appears that Ward Decree is headed over here to run on dirt, not on turf, the European specialty, in the classic. Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, he's not a horse that really has excelled, to be honest, so far. He's a horse that uh, I'm interested that he's coming over to you. He had a higher profile sort of earlier on in the season. Um, I, I won't say I suggest this is sort of last chance saloon for him. That's a little bit unfair, but he hasn't really made the inroads that you might have um, hoped he would have done sort of earlier on in the season. Um, as always, our, our horses that run in the classic and things like that do tend not to have the same record, obviously, as our horses do on turf. Um, Aidan O'Brien is the one that does tend to throw one into the mix. But as I say, I, I think he's going to find it uh, a pretty deep, field for him to be honest and i think we would do well to get anything other than a a, a rough place out of him to be honest 
Aiden O'Brien also is talking about running a couple of others on dirt, potentially, including Lancaster Bomber, who might run the dirt mile. He could also run the turf mile. But I guess when you've won as much as he has this year, you get a little emboldened to take a shot every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing to try and impress with, with, with Aiden. Um, he runs his, he, he selects his very good horses, and they are campaigned like very good horses. But because Coolmore is largely a breeding operation, he will fill the barrel and just really have lots of uh, weapons in his arsenal to try and pick up group ones as he goes. We're talking about Lancaster Bomber, who for the majority of the season in the UK has virtually been sacrificed almost as a pacemaker. It certainly adopted that sort of role in the Guineas when he and his stable companion made it just about perfect trip for Churchill that day. He's a very big, strong, robust horse, and, and that possibly means he might cope with a dirt surface slightly better than, than some of the other horses that, that come over, and we traditionally see they don't handle that kickback. It is all new to them. Um, but he is quite an interesting contender because he can run in a handy position. His level of form is fine, but you just have to look at it with a view to the fact that he hasn't always, if you like, been largely running on his own merits. He's often in there for somebody else. Now, his performance, I think, when he was second at Woodbine in the Woodbine Mile, that probably pins his ability. He also ran very well at Ascot when he was second at St. James's Palace, which is just about um, his best run. But again, on, on that occasion, he was in that race trying to set up for Churchill. It didn't go well on that occasion, and he ended up being the first home of the O'Brien horses, chasing home Barney Roy. But no, he's quite an interesting um, runner that we, we've got trying the dirt surface. And Maiden always throws one in because obviously if he was to win on the dirt, he would become a very, very vegetable breeding proposition for Coolmore, add an extra string to their bow for it. Now, as we get to the meat of the Europeans that are coming over, it's interesting that three of them are Home of the Brave, Washington, D.C., and James Garfield. All coming from Europe. I, I don't really get that. But the uh, Aidan O'Brien will be sending in the turf uh, Highland Reel to take on another horse trained by someone very familiar with running in the Breeders' Cup, Sir Michael Stout and the great Ulysses. Barney Roy and Churchill, the tall rivals, with Ulysses on the outside, who's easy into the race. What will he find? Barney Roy in the center. Ulysses on the near side, Churchill on the far side. And it's Ulysses who's wearing down the two three-year-olds on the inside. And Ulysses is going to win the jumper. A brilliant performance. And a six to Sir Michael Stout. Jim Crowley in the saddle. Decorated Knight Smart Call also may be headed here. This seems like a very contentious race. How do you see those four horses shaping up running in America? I'd be pretty confident that um, Ulysses would best of them. All through the season, he has shown a fantastic cruising speed and in the back of your mind, you could just see him spinning round those tight turns. He doesn't need a gap to open for long. Don't be fooled by the way he runs. He only has sort of one move and often when he's got there, he's had a little bit of a look around. He nearly threw away the eclipse that way. The only concern for Ulysses is how much that run against the naval left its mark in the arc. I was a little surprised he ran in the arc. He'd always looked an ideal breeder's cup horse. He fired up a little bit early at Chantilly. He had a relatively tough race trying to match strides with the superstar of our particular season. If he hasn't left the race behind, I'm pretty confident that he is the best of the European bunch. Highland Reel has been round the block. He's a very versatile horse. If you let him loose on the lead, he's very dangerous. Forget his run on soft ground at Ascot, where they hummed and hard whether to run him. That didn't suit at all. 
conditions overseas have always suited him. He's got a very good record when he gets on his travels. If it's a soft speed, he is dangerous, but Ulysses is the class act in that field. Decorated Knight took his opportunity in Ireland. Smart call is very interesting because we can't really lay claim to him. He, he holds the, the hopes of South Africa more than anything else, I think. And um, yeah, as a result, I think I'd be pretty happy that Ulysses would prove to be the best of them. I would like to see Smart Call run because uh, the Smart Call story is a good one in the sense I think it was a win in your ring, wasn't it, last year when injury prevented her from taking her chance. And Connections have had to be so, so patient with her. I don't think she's going to be good enough, but I'd like to see her run well for, for Jessica Slack. But I'm pretty sure that if Ulysses' arc run hasn't left its mark, then he is definitely our leading contender in the turf. And Jessica Slack was a guest on this show last year and told us how some of the training for Smart Call involved taking the horse into the ocean, literally, and basically, you know, making it into a resistance pool. It's just incredible that this horse has still got a chance. Let's go to the mile, certainly a specialty for Europe, and the one that really makes you scratch your head is Ribchester. He used to be Ribchester. He used to be so good, but... He's still going for Godolphin, and there's a bunch of others who have a chance against him here, including Home of the Brave, whom we mentioned, Karar, uh, So Beloved, and Suedwa, who ran here in the States uh, recently, winning the Shadwell Mile at Keeneland. Where, how do you see this race shaping up? Yeah, Swedwa is interesting because he's reinvented himself as a miler, and he approaches the race as a result on a bit of an upward curve. Ribchester is a good, solid course i'm not so sure well his participation might be a big question mark to begin with if he comes he has these little quirks he edges around under pressure uh, most of his good runs have been on longer straights than he's going to encounter at del mar and i just worry slightly i wouldn't be taking a short price on form he would be our standout pick but i don't think he is as far clear of the others in these circumstances as he is in European races where he's seen to better effect. He wandered around at Ascot, he wandered around at Newbury. Don't know what happened to Goodwood. He ran a really bizarre race. His rider almost seemed to be giving up on him, and then he got his second wind and ran on. But uh, I'm not so sure spinning around the turns at Del Mar will be his go. Home of the Brave is interesting because he probably has the right run style. Uh, he might be a horse that has those sort of little gears to um, move around and, and, and take positions. Um, and he's got a little bit of, of natural speed, which might send him into good effect in what you'd imagine would be not pressing his stamina. He's never been beyond seven furlongs, well, not for a long time. He did run once over seven furlongs right at the beginning of 2015 in the Guineas. He's run over seven just about ever since. Now, he's just shy of Group 1 company in, in this country, third in the Park Stakes, which is a Group 2 a second in the group two at Goodwood, but you can see him having the run of the race out in front. So he's an interesting one, but I'm, I'm quite taken by Swedois. He's had good form and good races here, just looked a bit unlucky, but has rather reinvented himself over a mile and has shown the ability to travel, which is a big question mark for a few of these off the back of a longest season. Right, and it's also a question of whether uh, Dick Whittington would run in the mile or in the turf sprint because he also would be a pace factor i think if he were to run in the mile since he is naturally quick if he runs in the turf sprint though he has to face a rare american trained but european raced legend in lady aurelia you've seen her more than we have how good is she she's very good and i think 
to be honest, she will take a massive amount of meeting around the turn. I think that's possibly a key for, for her run style. It uh, doesn't mean she's not very good down a straight course as well. She she is, as she proved um, when she won, won at Ascot. But she was there a little bit to be shot at in the closing stages at York where she got out there and had been in front a long way. But having seen her win round the turn earlier on in her season, um, I think that last around the bend is going to be key. Uh, but clearly, the, the interesting UK runner in the sprint is Marsha, who's been a bit of a fairy tale story. She was syndicated to a whole group of people from the Elite Racing Club. They actually bred her. They have thousands of members, all of whom own a hair or two in, in lots of horses. But she's been a real fairy story. But I do think her lack of experience around a turn is a major negative in her trying to confirm that non-thought form at, at York. She has run and run round a turn in her younger days, but clearly she was going to turn into a really good horse. So she's never really been tested round a turn at this level. She's a big, strong horse who needs to be put in front quite close to the finish. And that suited her ideally at York, where she had something to chase, just one in front of her. On down to the last furlong and a half, Frankie shakes up Lady Aurelia. Batash is challenging strongly. Marsha joining in on the near side. Three across the track. Marsha tackling Lady Aurelia, who's just beginning to edge off her true line. Lady Aurelia the far side. Marsha trying to peg her back on the near side. Lady Aurelia and Marsha as they race close home. Tremendous finish between the two in the Nunthorpe. I'm worried that this is a little bit of an afterthought. She's been on the go for quite a long time. And I think in this occasion, a horse we're used to seeing will be winning in Lady Aurelia. And I think that's one you can, you can mark up to your brigade. I think Marsh is clearly best at the UK horses and the others, the likes of Washington, D.C., Dick Whittington. They're not really in the same class, I don't think, as Lady Aurelia. Well, that Marsha win over Lady Aurelia was just incredible. One of the best races of the year. The other horse I want to get to here, since we it would just be too laborious to do everything here, is Roly Poly coming to run in the Philly and Mare Turf. She is a star. Yes, she is, and she as in as in she is a star. I'm not entirely sure Aidan O'Brien's run running plans, even for a couple of days in advance, are never easy to to ascertain. Um, he basically did mention that um, Roly Poly had a very good chance of, of coming possible date in California, I think was how he actually confirmed it. But I think they would be likely to run her. The reason being is she is just tough. There's not a certainty at all that she'll train on at three. Physically, she looks a two-year-old, but she is very, very hardy. And they're the sort of horses that it's worth campaigning, I think, in a international sphere at the end of their two-year-old careers. It, we're, we're not talking, we'll come on to a couple of other horses later, that have only had sort of you know, one or two runs or two or three runs. You are talking around a horse that's been around the block. Why wouldn't you travel um, a horse such as that? Because the one poor run roly-poly had, well, wasn't that poor, to be honest, was behind winter when the horse was completely sacrificed. Again, just drove the French filly absolutely mad. Wherever the French filly went, roly-poly was there. But since that day, Roly-Poly really has sort of come of age and she's shown a fantastic attitude. She's won three group ones, despite the fact she wouldn't take your eye out in the paddock at all. But I think that means that she could be an ace for Aiden O'Brien in that particular contest. I say she was in Winter's shadow a little bit early on in the season, but Winter's been campaigned a little bizarrely uh, recently. And I think Roly-Poly um, is definitely a horse that, um, you know, moving into their four-year-old careers. I just don't see that the others can potentially catch this horse up. He doesn't have the physique 
I think, to, um, also she doesn't have the physique really, I think, to, to progress beyond what we're seeing. Why not go with the horse that's in form and is taking the hardy nature of racing? I think as four-year-olds, there's every chance that other horses will catch her up. And as a consequence, um, I think why not just get on with her and run her? She's contributed a lot to Aidan O'Brien's attempt at catching Bobby Frankel's record already with three victories. And uh, I think it's highly likely they would send Roly Poly over. Personally, I would certainly try it. Well, for the sake of the Europeans, I hope we don't get a 99-degree day at Del Mar like we did at Santa Anita in 2003. Richard Hoyles, thank you so, so much for a few minutes here. Thank you. No problem at all. I hope you all enjoyed Breeders' Cup, and I hope that um, the Europeans manage to take the odd prize. We'll see you back home. Our thanks to Richard Hoyles and to Mick Ruiz. So what if the full crop's so dangerously low that it threatens the sports foundations or the brazen cheaters who know the rules but say, ha, track operators can't coordinate race times, but it's no matter, for the tax code's changed, and for that we can sing huzzah. So what if the state of Florida allows an Appaloosa to race a thoroughbred? What's next, a grasshopper? And each state has different rules for punishing cheaters. But no matter, for the tax code's changed, and for that we can sing huzzah. It doesn't matter that white supremacists may set our national time clock back 200 years to before the Civil War. Don't worry about the threat of nuclear war with North Korea, for the tax code's changed, and for that we can sing huzzah. Just as a funeral procession is allowed to go through red lights because making time dissipates death's aroma, so too should we rejoice as the world crumbles around us because the tax code's changed. Racing fans, let's say it, huzzah. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.